Shut up and sit down. Hey everybody, welcome to the EM Over Easy podcast. Drew, Tanner, and Andy here with a great special guest, uh, Anand Swami Nathan, or Swami as many of you know him from his multiple outlets, which he podcasts and does everything else that's awesome. Swami, thanks so much for hopping on the show with us. Uh, this has been kind of one of our bucket lists since we got started. Absolutely. No, thanks for having me. Uh, it's, this is great. I'm excited. I, I told you uh, last time we chatted, I'm loving the I'm loving the podcast, and my favorite part, as we talked about before, is I like the sound of the uh, forks against the plates. I like the background noise. I'm digging it. We were just talking. Since we're uh, doing this remotely, we might actually have to go and record some background music and splice it in for the first time ever just to appease you and your love of the fork. That's, I, that's all I'm asking for. You know what? If you could do that for me, that would be sweet. <laughs> that's it. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to breakfast at DK Diner, and I will just have, uh, I'll just record. Record the noise. So cue the background noise. So Swami, when, when we thought about bringing you on the show, it was kind of hard to narrow down one thing for us to talk about with you because you literally do everything. You're involved in, I mean, I remember when I was in medical school, there were four or five things that I was really interested in doing. I listened to MRAP. Uh, I listened to, to MCRIT. I really, really liked Essentials, followed them on Twitter or through social media, and then really fell in love with the Teaching Institute early on in residency, and you do all that. So how? I've been, I've been very lucky, but, you know, it's not always a good thing to do everything. I mean, you know, I don't know if I do any of those things well. I, I'm, You know, you guys are kind of building me up here. I want to make sure that the audience gets brought down a little bit. I don't want the expectations to be too high for what we're going to do today. That's fair. That's, that's fair. fair. I, I mean, that's a good point, though. It's like it's, it's really easy to get overextended, especially when you have so many opportunities out there. Uh, it, and so how did, how did you, how did you start choosing these opportunities? You know, you're, you're starting off, you're finishing residency. What, what piqued your interest in some of these areas? Yeah. So I started with a very traditional pathway. I didn't do any of this in, in, uh, in residency. I mean, I think when I was finishing residency, life in the fast lane and academic life were out there. I think, uh, Scott might've just started with MCRIT and ERCAST and, and, you know, obviously MRAP was there, but there wasn't a lot else going on. And so I had like a very traditional out of the gate. I wanted to do residency leadership. There were no spots. So I did med student leadership because that's every person who does med student leadership that's how they got into it. Everyone that I've met, at least. Well, I wanted to do residency leadership, but that was already booked. Everyone was already in place. So I did uh, med student leadership for a couple of years, and then I did started residency leadership my third year out. And that's when some opportunities started rolling in. Um, I Honestly, I, I got lucky. I started with uh, MRAP. That was kind of the first thing I did. I, I had an idea for a segment on the show, and I emailed Mel. And uh, I was like, hey, I want to, you know, what do you think about this topic? You guys recently did something, I think it was on uh, ovarian, um, tube ovarian abscess that I had uh, been working on an article with a, with a resident. And so I emailed him about it. He goes, yeah, that's great. And he set me up with Squadron and we did a segment. And then, um, you know, nothing kind of happened for a couple of years or a couple of months. And then I emailed him again and I had another idea. And he was like, yeah, let's set up a time. I'll, uh, I'll send you a mic. We'll set up a time and we'll, we'll record something. And we recorded, and I think it was about, the use of uh, antibiotics and strep throat, and uh, and then it just kind of snowballed from there. And then he kind of kept coming back to me. He's like, "Do you have another segment? Do you want to record again?" And uh, over the for those couple of years, I just started doing more and more with him. And as I got exposed to him, I met Rob Orman, and Rob Orman exposed me to the world of foam and all of the different things that were out there. And I, I honestly think that the thing that I always tell people is that most of the people in our field 
are really nice human beings. They really are, and they want to kind of work with you. They want to know who you are and find out what your interests are. And uh, that that cold email is really uncomfortable. But once you get past that, people want to help. They want to work with you. And um, it just kind of snowballed from there. Everybody said, yes, yeah, let's work on something. Let's do this together. And then, you know, now I am, I'm where I am now. I would say we have found that already in our uh, infancy in what we're doing, that even having you on board on a, a podcast just a year out of starting EM Over Easy just shows the, the amount of love and openness there is in emergency medicine. I, I got to say, when I look at you, and, and this is definitely a moment for me, uh, you, you seem like a founding father of uh, FOMED and this kind of new age of learning on Twitter, on podcasts, taking things out of the textbook. How? What does that make you? How does that make you feel with with the kind of the next generation saying, "Hey, uh, you're you're one of the founding fathers." Uh, I'm not sure that I see it the same way. I think I kind of latched onto the coattails of other people who really led the way. You know, people like Chris Nixon and Orman and Weingart and Mel. They really were the ones that that led the the charge into this, and I kind of was able to hop on their coattails kind of early and follow them through. And obviously, people like Michelle Lynn. And again, it's it's the opportunities being there and taking advantage of them. I think what the reason that I have been able to do a lot of stuff and, and do some really fun things, I think is because um, it's organization and delivery. That's what these guys are looking for. You know, these guys are busy. And when they come to you, you know, someone like Mel comes to you and is like, you know, I want to do this. Yeah, this segment sounds great. Let's record. What he wants is you sit down, you're prepared, you record, and like 15 minutes later, it's done, minimal editing, ready to go. And so it was like all that lead time going into that 15 or 20 minutes of, of talking to Mel or Orman or whoever it was and and putting that that effort into knowing the content really well, delivering on what you promise. You know, I always will tell people, oh, yeah, I'll have that done in three weeks and then I'll do it in 10 days. And that that was I think that's why I people kept asking, oh, do you want to do this? Do you want to do this? Because they knew that whatever they asked, it would be delivered on time or a little bit early. And so, like I said, I, I've I've had good opportunities but really taken advantage of them as far as you know what you guys are saying leading the the charge in this i think uh i think that's a bit overstated like i said but uh, (laughs) i am really really honored that you guys would even think of me that way and all i really care about is how we get the knowledge that we have to people and how we do it you know efficiently and effectively and hopefully some of the things that we do are actually working that's pretty awesome i I, I, it still blows me away that you kind of got into this with just a cold call, essentially. You you threw yourself out there, and bam, all of a sudden, the, it's stuff started snowballing, and, and a flood of uh, opportunities came up. And to me, that's pretty amazing. That's 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 a cool thing about FOMED world is things can happen really, really easily if if you're in the right spot at the right time. Oh, absolutely. And again, it's that delivery. It's you know, making sure that you, you deliver what you promise. But that cold call can be a little bit daunting for people, you know, really putting themselves out there. But, you know, what's the worst thing that happens? The worst thing that happens is you email somebody and they say, nope, not interested. And, and then you move on. You find something else to do. It's not that big a deal. But if you don't put yourself out there, you know, no one's going to come to you. There are so many people now that are doing this stuff. And there's, you know, the, the people that are really into it are busy. They have a lot of things going on. So they're not always looking for the next new person. So you kind of have to go to them and say, Hey, I got this idea. I want to do it. You know, can you help me? The story I I always tell is, you know, we all think, uh, uh, Scott obviously has such great things to offer. He does such a great job with the MCRIT site. You know, he's full-time clinical, the amount that that man works. I'm pretty sure that he's Batman also. I don't know (laughs) if you guys know that. Uh, but I, I don't think he sleeps. I can't imagine the amount of work that he gets done, but 
in spite of him being so busy, I remember about five or six years ago, I was like, yeah, I want to try podcasting. Um, and, you know, uh, Scott and Orman were the only people I knew doing it. So I emailed Scott and I said, you know, I want to. I want to start podcasting. Is there a book that you can uh, that you can tell me to get, or you know that you can recommend that'll like tell me all the things I need to do? And he emailed me back probably like ten minutes after I sent my email, and he said, uh, "No book. Here's my phone number. Call me tonight." And um, we were on the phone for two hours, and and literally I had met Scott once before this. I had met him once in my life at that point, and he spent two hours on the phone with me, walking me through all the things that you need to do for podcasting. And at the end of it, I'm like. I'm like, wait, are you working clinically right now? He goes, nah, I finished my shift. I'm just kind of sitting around here chatting. So, <laughs> you know, he put two hours of his life out there for someone that he barely knew because he cares enough about this stuff. That's cool. So, Swami, I've got to ask. So, so I know that you podcasted for, you did some MRAP stuff first. When was that able to translate to say, maybe to me, I kind of called the big stage of life, which is presenting at ASAP, presenting at SMAC. How did you translate that from the work you did, you know, uh, technically on via web or via podcast to, to actual live live talks because to me that's a lot of people wonder how do you how do these people go from which one do they do first do they do talks first did they do podcasting first did they do content first yeah yeah you know I mean it's all very similar ideas with different media so I started speaking I started speaking my senior my fourth year of uh, of uh, residency is when I really kind of embraced it and and a lot of that was inspired by listening to MRAP and you know we kind of kid around but the first couple lectures I gave you know after I discovered MRAP I basically just mimicked what Mel and Amel did on MRAP right and I just kind of regurgitated the same kind of stuff and I didn't have my own style but a lot of that was just learning from masters and you know emulating them and trying to get my own style with it and so I started speaking my fourth year um, I, I got invited actually to do a multidisciplinary grand round somewhere and that was kind of like I loved it you know there's like a hundred people in the room um, you know some of them were actually listening uh, the rest were sleeping but it felt really good and I'm like I want to do this so um, I started off with just you know I'm gonna get on the speaking circuit and People ask all the time, like, how do you get out there? And a lot of it, again, it's kind of hitting the pavement and putting yourself out there. So I emailed everyone that I knew in the New York area and said, if you're ever looking for a speaker, um, drop me a line. Whatever you need, I will make a lecture for it. But here's lectures that I already have. And most people ignored the email, never even emailed me back. But a couple of people were like, yeah, sure. You know, can you give a talk on this topic or that topic? And so I got a couple that way. Uh, a friend that I knew kind of recommended me to a friend that he knew out in uh, Irvine, California. So I got to fly out and do my first like travel grand rounds and, uh, you know, just kind of doing it over and over again. And Scott says the same thing. When he started out speaking, he was giving a lecture almost every week somewhere whether that was at his place or somebody else's. And I kind of took that to heart and did the exact same thing. I was either giving you know, a 20 or 30 minute presentation at my place, I was teaching a workshop, or I was out giving grand rounds somewhere. So those first like three years, I would say I was doing two to three talks a month, either at my place or somewhere else. And after putting all that time in, it, that's where you really kind of, you generate this list of lectures that you can give. And then people would email you and be like, oh yeah, you wanna come up for a talk? Can you give me a list of lectures? And you send them like 15 topics. And, and that gets you invited back. So you do well the first time, they invite you back the second time. And it just start, starts to snowball. And then it was this idea of like, well, this stage is great. You know, I go and do grand rounds, it's fun. They take me out for dinner or they take me out for lunch. I meet some of the residents. And you get to teach to a small group, you know, maybe somewhere between 20 and 40 folks. And then you look at MRAP and you're like, MRAP has, you know, 25,000 downloads a month. 
So here I am schlepping myself all over the place to talk to 30 people when there's a bigger stage that you can get to. And it's not for the, I get to talk on a bigger stage. It's for getting the education to the huge amounts of people. So how can I get the message to more and more people? And so a podcast MRAP kind of made sense. And again, like just cold emailing Mel, trying it out and enjoying it and, and really liking that style of um, speaking and, and teaching and then getting more and more opportunities. And I'll tell you that Mel was obviously a huge stepping stone for me. He's been an incredible mentor, but about three or four uh, recordings in, he passed me off to Rob Orman and he's like, Orman's going to handle you from now on. He's your handler. So if you have any topics, you just, you just run it by him. And Orman really opened a lot of doors for me. You know, I started with ER cast um, and then introducing me to Scott and, and Haney and all these other guys. So um, I think that it's a great idea early on to start off with doing lectures, getting out on the circuit giving them as many times as you can in as many settings as you can. And then some of those things you'll really kind of latch onto with passion. And then those are the ones that you bring to a podcast. For, for some of us budding lecturers out there, what would be some of your you know, top one or two tips for uh, someone giving a presentation or a talk? Yeah, this is such a great topic. I think we, we do lectures so poorly because we've been taught to do them so poorly in the past that a lecture should just be a straight recitation of information. And we know nobody learns from that. So um, I think that in general, when you start out lecturing, you don't get to pick your topics. Somebody picks them for you. So when you're a resident, your residency director or assistant residency director tells you, you got to give a 20 minute or a 30 minute talk on this topic. And, and that doesn't change. You know, I get some of my residents will kind of complain. It's like, oh, do I really have to do this talk on lupus? And I'm like, first of all, Lupus is a real thing. Okay? It's, not just, it's not just a misleading diagnosis on house. It's That's a real right. disease, and you need to know it's about never it. lupus. And I'm like, second of all, you don't get to pick. I don't get to pick. I just got an email from the Essentials guys, and they're like, hey, if you have any ideas for talks, let us know, but we're probably just going to assign you talks anyway. So it's like that's, that's the reality of how things are. So you rarely get to pick the idea. So once something gets assigned to you, it's, it's looking at that topic and saying, what about this? Is, am I actually passionate about? Like, what can I find within this topic that I'm excited to talk about? And the, the way I always relate this to people is, you know, if, if Amul Matu emailed out and said, I'm going to be giving a three-hour symposium on prostate-specific antigens, we would all sign up and go, right? I mean, if you could, <laughs> you'd be like, oh, damn, right, I got to take that day off. I'm going to see that three hours on PSAs. Because Amul will find something really great and interesting about it, and at the end of it, you'll be like, I'm going to be a prostate-specific antigen specialist. That's all I'm going to do from now on. And so um, you got to find something within the topic that really kind of speaks to you and you want to embrace and move forward with. And that's really the trick, if there is a trick, to getting out there on the lecture circuit, especially if you can pick something that nobody else speaks about or nobody else does well. Um, the other story is uh, Teresa Wu, who obviously has been on the speaking circuit for a long time, and she... Um, routinely does this talk on ENT emergencies, which is incredible. And I asked her once, I'm like, Teresa, do you really care that much about bloody noses? She's like, I don't care about them at all, actually. Uh, she was like, eight or nine years ago, um, somebody canceled a talk somewhere and they couldn't arrive and they asked me if I could fill in. And I was like, yeah. She's like, what's the topic? They're like, it's on uh, epistaxis. And she's like, God damn it. <laughs> and, and, but then she was like, well, I better become an expert in the topic. And she's like, over the years now, I really enjoy the topic and I, and I like it. But it came from this place of somebody gave me the topic. 
I figured out what was going to be interesting to me, and then I just ran with it. And if you show interest in the topic, everybody else will understand that, and they'll latch on to your interest, and then they'll be interested and inspired by it. One of the hardest things I find about doing something like that, and it's, I, I think it's so true, you got to find that thing that sparks you, is how do you get over the fear of not truly being an expert? So, I mean, you take the, the case of epistaxis. You're talking to a room of people that are probably emergency medicine trained that all have their way of dealing with epistaxis, and they think they know how to handle it pretty decently. And sure, you've read up on it. You maybe know the new literature, but how do you convince yourself for those 30 minutes or that hour, I'm, I am the expert, and I can deliver that confident talk? Yeah, I, I, this is this is really tricky, especially early in training. And so when I started, the um, the talks that I gave were were pretty basic topics. I think that was a good place to start because you know you're trying to do a lot of things at one time. You're trying to gain expertise in an area. You're trying to gain expertise as a speaker and grow as a speaker. It's a lot of moving parts. So I picked topics that I already knew I was passionate about, that I really enjoyed speaking on, and that I thought I could become an expert on because it was basic content. So when I had the choice of topics, I picked things like, you know, a simplified approach to tachydysrhythmias, making it very easy to diagnose. Um, I picked things like uh, um, electrolyte abnormalities, where, let's be honest, Nothing has changed in the management of hyperkalemia in 25 years. That is a topic that I can master. So I kind of hit on those those basic things and, and kind of ran with that to start. Um, and, and that's one way to do it. Some of it is just you have to make yourself an expert. So if it's epistaxis, you go and you talk to your ENT colleagues and you find out from them. You read their literature on how they manage things. And so you read and read and read and become a master of the content, even though you haven't maybe had as much experience with the disease. You master whatever is out there in the literature, and then you create your talk. So even though you might not be putting all of that stuff into the actual lecture, you have all that information in your head. You have mastered the content uh, on paper, and then you're bringing that to the folks that are listening. And, and then a lot of it is getting confidence in your presentation style and making it look like you know what you're doing. So even early on when you don't know what you're doing, you have to appear as if you do. If you appear nervous, then the audience will know. And they'll know, oh, this guy doesn't really know the topic. What am I doing in this lecture? I'm going to go see something else. So it's it's a lot of time and effort. And you know, Joe Lex talks about it all the time. To create a 30-minute lecture, it's probably 40 hours of investment. And I think he was underestimating it because Joe's a lot smarter than the rest of us. The amount of time that I put into creating a talk is absolutely extraordinary because I feel like I got to master the content before I can speak to other people about it. So even if it's like a five-minute talk on back pain, I read a ton before I can filter it down to, here's the five minutes that I want to I wanna hit the audience with. So, Swami, what was the moment that was kind of the, I've arrived? Like what, what I've <laughs> done, sure what I've done I'm, is significant. I'm still not sure that I'm right there now he hasn't arrived. Uh, necessarily. You know, this is kind of like the imposter syndrome. We all think that uh, we don't know what we're doing and that everybody can see through us and they know that we don't know what we're doing. Uh, <laughs> it's this uh, ongoing paranoia that you're never, you're never good enough. You never know enough. And it's probably a good thing, uh, honestly, because it spurs you to be better. And I've never met a single person in the foam world who doesn't have the imposter syndrome. And it's just a matter of, uh, degrees of imposter syndrome and how well they cover it up. So every single person I've ever met, they all feel inferior that the person next to them knows more than they do. And the good ones are the ones that strive to the point where they say, they know more than I do, but I'm going to learn what they have, what they know, and I'm going to make it part of what I know. So it's that, um, I don't know, you guys are nerds like I am. It's like the Star Trek thing. It's like the Borg, right? <laughs> like I will, I will assimilate your information into my cognition so that I no longer need you. But uh, I think that's that's kind of the way that a lot of us look at it. So um, 
I don't know that I've arrived, but when I think about some of the great moments, a lot of it is meeting those people that you've had a relationship with on Twitter, and I put relationship in quotation marks, and then you meet them for real, and you're like, oh, they are real people, and, and they're really nice in real life, too. Uh, but one of my favorite moments, I think, came from the first Essentials I ever got to speak at, which is a funny story of how I got into it, but um, I got there. I had never met uh, either Orman or Mel uh, or any of these guys before. And um, I get to the hotel, and Orman's like, oh, yeah, I'm down here. Come find me, and, and we'll go get a drink. And um, I come and meet him, and uh, I end up going out for drinks with him and Weingart, Mike Stone, and Z-Dog. And uh, I think it was before Z-Dog really crashed onto the scene. Um, but it was one of the most fun two hours I've ever had in my life, just kind of sitting with these guys, uh, having a drink, and just kind of chatting about everything and, and almost nothing about work stuff. It was just kind of like, you know, what, what's going on in your guys' lives and stuff like that. And then, of course, with the everything is so small, the world is small and you know everybody, I found out that I went to high school with Mike Stone. He was three years older than me, and his mom taught me how to read. So uh, wow. that was, I think that's like one of my favorite foam moments. That's really cool. That's really, really cool. Uh, now, I met his mom when I was 18. That's when she taught me to read. So oh, okay. that's a separate story. That's, that's we'll good. get into that a another A late time. starter. Nice. Your ability to read has really blossomed. I got <laughs> mad props. Thank you very much. The, uh, the ability of the computer to read to me has really helped. That's right. <laughs> when, when did you become the Swami? <laughs> uh, it, that's a very deep and philosophical question. Um, so, you know, it's funny because whenever I introduce myself to people who don't know me or don't know my name, the, they give you this look of like, I'm not sure. Should I be offended for you that you're introducing <laughs> yourself as Swami? So, you know, it's my last name is Swami Nathan. It's just like a it's it's it was the natural nickname to come out. And of course, um, my dad goes by Swami. My sister goes by Swami. My brother does. So it's like it's like a it's almost like a family nickname. Uh, you walk into our house, you say Swami and everybody turns around except <laughs> for my mom. So um, I don't know. I probably people started calling me Swami probably from the time I was like eight or nine years old because my first name is so hard to pronounce. And they're like, what's your last name? They're like, Swami Nathan. Like, Swami. Your name is Swami now. That's it. Um, so it's been going on forever. And, I, you know, it's, at some point, you're like, I'm a grown-up. I should have a real name. Like, I should go by my first name. And I had that, like, crisis of consciousness, like, right after college. I was like, I'm going to go by my real name. And that lasted for, like, two weeks. Uh, I remember, like, going to my friends in college. Uh, we were all – a bunch of us were living in the city – and I'm like, hey, guys, uh, you know, I'm a, we're all grownups now. I'm going to go by Anand now. And they're like, okay, Swami, sure, whatever you want. And <laughs> it, just, it was like, that was it. That was done. It was over. So uh, I've been Swami for a long time. That's awesome. That's dude. awesome. That's Do you great. think Swami has taken on its own kind of med-ed, foam-ed persona also, in addition to just you being Swami? You're allowed to be a little cocky right here. It's okay. That's uh, that's a deep that's a deep question. Um, we're keeping it deep. <laughs> these are all deep questions, guys. I thought you were going to ask me like, what's your favorite breakfast food? Well, oh, that's, that's coming. That's, that's coming. coming. Oh, thank God, because I can I can I I'm not even sure I can answer that one. That's a deep question too. <laughs> all right. So, um, I don't know. It's funny because like uh, uh, people definitely kid around about it. They're like, oh, you're like Madonna. It's like a one name. You don't need a you don't need a last name or a first name. Um, I mean, I would again, like, I think we all think about what our legacy is going to be. And, and I'm a little bit too young to be thinking about a legacy, but, but I kind of want, um, I want to leave an impact on medical education and the world of medical education and the way that we think about that. And I think I have a lot of time before I get there. And whether it's the name or whether it's something else, it's great. You know, I, I kind of, I've always kidded around with Orman that I want to make my own triad or pentad if I could. Um, I just haven't really, nothing's really hit me yet, but I want to have the Swami pentad at some point. 
Um, and if it could be a medical education, even better. Uh, you know, maybe I can have like, you know, they got like Maslow's triangle or Maslow's hierarchy. They can have like the Swami pyramid um, of learning. I don't know. It's going to be built on grains. And then there's just going to be a little bit of fat at the top. But uh, I'd like to have something like that someday. But I don't, I don't think I'm there yet. So along those lines, and before we throw you the softball breakfast questions, if you could give advice to somebody trying to enter the world of medical education, you know, there, it's, a, some, it's a resident who says, this is the direction I want to go. This is where I want to take my life. What, what advice would you give them to get their feet firmly planted in education? Yeah, I mean, it's such a big field now, uh, medical education. There's so many different things you can do. And so, I, I, I mean, the first thing I would tell people is if you want to do it, do it. Um, figure out what within the medical education world you really like and just pursue it. But it's also, it's okay if you don't know. If you're like, I want to do education, but I don't know what within that field really strikes me, just try stuff out. You know, you can do speaking. I know people who, have, who did speaking early on, and then after a year or two, they're like, you know, I don't really like that. I'm going to do something else. It's not wasted time. The investment that you put in, it pays off on everything else you do. So I usually tell people, if there's something you know you really like within medical education, just go ahead and, and try it out. Do it. Email people who are doing it. Ask them if they ever need help on stuff. Usually people do. They're looking for people to help them out with projects they're working on. And if you don't know what you want to do, just kind of dabble in stuff until you find something that really kind of strikes a chord within you. And you're like, oh, yeah, this is it. This is what I really like to do. I mean, did you guys think when you started residency that you were going to be podcasting and doing medical education stuff that way? No. No. I didn't think I was going to make it through residency. So the fact that anything else happened. Drew <laughs> thought he was going to get that attrition rate. He's like, oh, going to be out there. But, but I, don't, I don't think most of us knew. I mean, if you ask, if you ask Weingart, did you think you were going to have the MCRIP podcast? He'd be like, what the hell is a podcast? You know, like he didn't know what a podcast was when he was an intern. None of us did. We all kind of found our way into this. And I think to some degree, people kind of now want to get to that end point. Like they graduate from residency and they're like, this is what I want to do. And I got to do it right after I finish residency. And it's okay if you don't get to whatever point you think you want to be at right away. You kind of fumble through things and you find what you want to do. I mean, I thought I wanted to be a program director and now I've actually left residency leadership and I'm doing other stuff. So you often think you want to do something and then you get the experience. You're like, that's not for me. I'm going to do something else. But I would never say that any of the things that I did, the two years I did doing medical student education was formative for my residency education stuff. The six years of doing residency leadership has been formative for everything else I've done. So I don't regret any of the time that I spent on these projects. And I think that's probably the biggest key. And that one I learned from Ruben Strayer is that if you don't enjoy what you're doing, just stop doing it and do something else. Because if you enjoy it, it'll be worthwhile. Even if you enjoy it, but it's not something that builds into this huge project and this huge career, as long as you enjoyed it, it will go towards your career. It will go towards your life. It'll, you'll build on it and make something out of it. Oh, that's awesome advice. And so many people want to have that end point before they can get there. And, and the baby steps and just kind of building up is a good thing to keep in mind as we develop our careers in medicine, wherever that takes us. So that's awesome advice. All right, so, so to the softball questions that you've been waiting for. So favorite breakfast go. place. Swami's got to go to breakfast. Where's he going to get it? Ooh, where am I going to go to breakfast? I'll tell you, I like making my own breakfast personally. Um, I, I like a little scrambled eggs. I like to throw some cheese and some sausage in there and just like a nice New York bagel. And that probably would be my ideal breakfast, even better. There's this great bagel place right across the street from where I work, and you get like a bacon egg and cheese sandwich from there on a bagel and that's like if you want to if you want to win my heart i don't know why anybody would want to do that 
It's a bacon, egg, and cheese with hot sauce on a toasted sesame bagel. That is like the ideal breakfast for me. I mean, afterwards, I'm going to go into a food coma, and I'm going to regret. I'm going to, I'm going to hate myself later. But damn, that is a good breakfast. Totally worth it. And totally. I'll give you the New York bagel anytime. I'm, I'm from Chicago. New York does not have a soft spot in my heart. But New York bagels, man, they are killer. There's a couple of things we do really, really well. And, and, I, and I, I'm not even sure that it's that we do it really well. It's that nobody else has figured out how to do it. And the bagel, the bagel is one of those things. Nobody else has figured out how to make a good bagel. All right. And then our, our, our last question that we ask all of our interviewees is, what if you, if you could be a super beer, superhero, who would you be uh, and, and why? Uh, just, so, just so you know, uh, Andy has chosen Thor. Sticking by it, despite Will Sanderson's disagreement. Yeah. yeah. And it really fits his bull in a China shop mentality. Yes, it does. <laughs> and uh, Drew has taken the, uh, the obscure. intriguing, obscure approach of Splinter from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. All right. And I have chosen The Flash. Ooh. See, you know, I would have gone with The Flash, too. I got a lot of love for The Flash. And, you know, I read comic books as a kid. The Flash was not one. I wasn't a DC guy. I was a Marvel guy. So I didn't read The Flash as a kid. But you watch, like, you know, Justice League. You watch these other, like, cartoons and stuff. And you're like, dude, The Flash doesn't just run fast. Like, he can go back in time and stuff. And he can go, he can do pretty much whatever he wants. So uh, I'm kind of digging The Flash. I think um, my favorite superhero to watch is Batman. I like the idea of, like, the mortal, the mortal man, no superpowers, but does all these great things. But if I had to pick. I might. I think I'd go with the Flash. I'm. I'm loving the Flash too. I applaud your choice. <laughs> nice. Tanner's got a uh, ear-to-ear grin over here because you chose the Flash. It's good. <laughs> it's a good choice. It's a good choice. Well, Shraman, we really appreciate you coming on with us. Uh, we we appreciate that you actually listened to us uh, and that you give us props. And uh, we hope that we can get you back on the podcast down the road to maybe talk about something med- a little more medical education-y. Not that we didn't talk about that today, but uh, maybe do a deep dive down the road and hope that we can see you down the road at other conferences and, and hang out in the future. We talk about how one of our goals would be to go and get a beer with you, although I'd be getting root beer. These guys would be getting a beer. <laughs> still, still counts as beer. Still counts as a beer. Um, and hopefully we can do that down the road. I'd love to do that, and I'd love to come back on any time. Uh, guys, thanks for having me on. It was great. Awesome. awesome. Thanks, man. Thank you. Sit down.